evening, and welcome to another Thursday night edition of BAMS Radio. I am Thomas Watts, your crazy producer who is manning the controls in the back. Obviously, the guy who generally does the intro is Drew DeArmond. Drew is actually covering the basketball game that's going on right now. Alabama basketball is taking on, I'll be honest, it's a cupcake, and Alabama should win. But uh, if they were not, I'll, I haven't looked at much basketball myself. So that's where Drew is. So he'll be, he will be out of out of pocket today. He did provide us some audio. Uh, obviously, with basketball going on, football still spinning towards the push to play the Washington Huskies. Lane Kiffin has a new job, and he might take a couple of people with him. It's been Wilson Love has been rumored. Mike Loxley has been another guy that's potentially there. And just just a bunch of little things going on around the capstone. Also, the recruiting dead period, I forgot to mention. The recruiting dead period where coaches cannot directly contact recruits. That's going on right now. And Alabama landed Isaiah Bugs from from Louisiana. So there's going to be – there are a lot of little things going on around Tuscaloosa, and we're going to get into all of that. Our number one of this show is actually going to be Redfish and I, William Redfish, Barger, and I chatting about everything Alabama. I've got a whole bunch of battery of questions for him and even some stuff around the SEC. I'm going to try and pick his brain just a little bit, just a little bit about the Washington Huskies. But because we have a, you know, a couple weeks to really chew on the matchup, I don't want to go too deep there yet. But at, during the second hour, I am going to open up our phone lines and give callers a chance to give us a holler. The number is going to be 714 714- Five one zero three seven zero seven. I'll if you're listening live, I'll put out the the uh, the clarion call, such as it were, to uh, get on the line and you can give us your thoughts on anything that comes in in hour number one or something that's just grinding your gears. That'll be your time. Aside from that, Drew was nice enough before he shot off for Tuscaloosa to give us give me a little bit of audio with uh, Chris Kirchner, who's going to talk recruiting. And Brian Passink, who is the basketball color commentator, he did have some stuff about the game that's going on. If you're listening live, it's about to start right now. But he's also going to talk about the next couple of basketball games. And finally, we do have a little bit of audio that Drew got from Avery Johnson about a week ago talking about just the team, the basketball team and what Avery Johnson sees. You know, just kind of the lowdown, if you will. But all that being said, I need to play a quick song to get fish on the line. I cannot both talk to you and talk to Redfish, so I'm going to play a quick song. If you're catching me on podcast, I will edit this part, so just, just hang on. We'll be back in just a minute with BAMS Radio and Redfish. The good news is within that uh, one minute, I was able to get William Redfish Barger on the line, and I've got him live. Fish, how you doing this evening, buddy? Thomas, how about you? I'm talking about Alabama football, so I, I think life is pretty good on this Thursday evening. And, uh, you know, there's been – I thought it was a slower weekend than the first week, you know, this past week. And if, I, I laughed about it last week, that exam week, exam week for both Crimson Tide football players and, and even me down in Mobile was one of the busier weeks for covering the news coming out of Tuscaloosa. But you still had a few things going on. And the first big thing was was Lane Kiffin finding a job at Florida Atlantic. What was your initial reaction to, to all of this once it became official? Um, you know, I think it's a, a good landing spot for Lane. Um, you know, with, with the time that, you know, if you look at, you know, the amount of time and, and – 
that his dad spent down there kind of perfecting that, that Tampa 2 defense. Um, you know, his ex-wife, Layla's uh, family is from down there as well. So he spent a lot of time down there um, in a limited capacity when he was allowed to recruit. Um, that's kind of where his focal point was. It was, you know, Tampa South. Um, in Florida and, and out on the western part of the United States. So he's obviously got a lot of relationships there um, that he can tap into. And, uh, you know, look, I don't think this was the in-game decision. When Lane Kiffin was hired by Nick Saban three years ago, I don't think that Lane Kiffin thought, you know, at the end of this three-year agreement that we've had, I'm going to end up being the head coach you know, at a smaller level Florida school in Boca Raton, Florida. But, you know, I think when you had the the, the peaks and valleys, you know, in his career that he's had, um, and, you know, I, I think that's, you know, a pretty interesting topic. You know, he was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders at a really young age, you know, got the Tennessee head coaching job and did a very good job but I decided to go back to the West Coast and take over USC. Had one really good season, and, and you know, then things kind of went downhill for him there. Um, you know, I think the the chapter that is still out there to be written on Lane Kiffin's career is, you know, what has he learned going all the way back to his USC days when him and Steve Sarkeesian were the play callers for Pete Carroll to his dealings with Al Davis, to going to Knoxville and, you know, turning Jonathan to a, you know, legit SEC quarterback and having a nine-win season there. And then, you know, leaving in the middle of the night from Knoxville and going back to Los Angeles, you know, to Southern Cal. And then, you know, starting to rebuild things with Nick Saban and Tuscaloosa. You know, I don't know enough about any of those previous stops to chime in on that. Now, what he's done in Tuscaloosa, in my opinion, um, you you can nitpick his play calling all you want to. But making Blake Sims, um, you know, a guy that, you know, floated around every skill position group in Tuscaloosa, DB, wide receiver, running back, you know, Lane Kiffin made him into a very good SEC quarterback. Um, you know, broke single-season passing records. I'm sure it doesn't hurt that he had Amari Cooper to help him with that. But still, that's impressive. Um, what he did last year with Jake Coker, impressive. Uh, what he's done this year with Jalen Hurts, that's off the charts. So when, when I digest all that stuff, what it tells me is, you know, that guy is a A-plus quarterback developer. Um, I would give him an A-minus, B-plus grade as a OC play caller. And I really don't know enough about, you know, him as a, you know, a figurehead of, of a pretty big university down there in Boca Raton, Florida, um, to, 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 you know, chime in and say what he's going to do down there. But, um you know, it's all about recruiting Thomas. Um, you know, he, uh, he's already, you know, brought in, the, the, you know, the, the former fallen quarterback 
uh, you know, from FSU. So that's that's a feather in his cap, you know, only accepting the job 48 hours ago. So we'll yeah, see that, how that DeAndre Jordan is who you're talking about. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, that kind of continues what he's done in Tuscaloosa as far as, you know, kind of segueing away. You know, Wayne, you know, prior to 2014 when he came to Alabama, you know, he'd always been a pro-style guy. Um, you know, having a A.J. McCarron type of quarterback um, in his previous jobs, you know, Matt Leiner and Carson Palmer and all those guys at USC, uh, Jonathan Crompton at, at Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I think probably throw Jake Coker into that mix, except, you know, he's not a, a run-first guy, but he's not a stiff back there standing in the pocket. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see how this works out for him. And I really do. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, spend some time following it because I think that's a unique place. Um, you're in a position where you can tap into that South Florida um, talent bonanza that's down there. I mean, you know, let's not forget that when, you know, Howard Stellenberg went to Miami in the, the early 80s and built that program from scratch, you know, they, they drew a uh, crayon marker on the state of Florida from Miami all the way up to Tampa, and they said, you know, look, if we can get all these guys or the ones that we want from Tampa South, um, we're going to have a chance to be a really good football team. And, you know, you're not going to be able to attract the, you know, the Jerry Cuties or the Amari Coopers or the Calvin Ridley's, obviously. Uh, but there's a lot of good football players down in that part of the country. And uh, I'll be interested to see how, how Lane constructs his program. Um, you know, he's he brought in, uh, you know, a former Alabama football player in Wilson Love to be a strength coach. You know, he's hired his brother away from Ole Miss to be the D-line coach. So I think kind of sit back and watch to see what he constructs his staff with. And then you want to look at what kind of recruiting he does. And you're know, talking about constructing his staff. There was a report that Lane Kiffin was going to take Mike Loxley with him, and that's been debunked. And it hasn't been debunked. There's there's an open question with that. What are your thoughts about Kiffin potentially taking Loxley? And is there anyone else aside from those two, one being Loxley, the other being Wilson Love? that Lane Kiffin might take with him from this current Alabama program? Well, I mean, I think there's a really good chance that uh, kind of see some more background guys like a Wilson Love um, that are going to go from being in the background of, of whatever they do, you know, and Love's, you know, uh, uh, sense, you know, the strength and conditioning program. But, uh, you know, Loxley is a, you know, a very – uh, credible former offensive coordinator. He's been the head coach at two different big-time universities. But I, but I don't see that happening. Um, you know, I think Mike Loxley is, is in play to be the next Alabama offensive coordinator. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But if it doesn't happen, I just don't see him taking, uh, you know, a step down to go down there with Lane. I mean, if you look at the overall coaching budget, um, that Lane's got down there. I mean, he can't afford to play guy, pay guys a lot of money. Um, you know, if you look at what he was making at Alabama, uh, you know, 1.4, 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, 1.9, 1.10, 1.11, 1.12, 1.13, 1.14, 1.15, 1.16, 1.17, 1.18, 1.19, 1
um, with what he could have gone wrong as you made 1.8. You know, he's, you know, to take that head coaching job that he took, I mean, he's basically, um, you know, making himself take a half a million to a $700,000 pay cut just to be a head coach. And I don't think that's a bad move for him. Um, I think when you kind of, and I hate to even say this word because I don't think he necessarily failed. I think he made some bad decisions. Um, but th- that's a tough pill to swallow when you have to, you know, eat that kind of money. But, you know, a guy like Wilson Love, he's never going to be the head strength and conditioning coach at Alabama, you know, whether or not Scott Cochran decides one day to, uh, you know, join Kirby Smart over at Georgia. That's just not in the cards for him. Um, you know, Mike Loxley, um, you know, he could go get a uh, an offensive coordinator job at a Power 5 school if he's not hired at Alabama. So, you know, why would you go work for Lane Kiffin, especially when everybody knows Lane Kiffin's going to be calling his own place. Now, his brother's situation, I think, is, you know, the most interesting one. Um, you know, there's a better chance than not um, if this NCAA investigation continues to go south for Ole Miss. Um, you know, Chris Kiff and his brother uh, was considered their top recruiter. And, uh, you know, I get it, you know, got to get out of Oxford before the uh, the walls fully circle you. But, you know, you know, let's just say that this NCAA investigation with Ole Miss continues on from mid-December, where we're at right now, through the end of May. Um, you know, what happens to Lane Kiffin's brother, who's his D-line coach? Uh, let's just fast forward to May, and, you know, they put a show cause on it. You know, he's going to lose his job, you know, down there in Boca Raton with Lane if that happens. Um, so I think it'll be real interesting to see what kind of staff he constructs. But I know when he first got that job, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, oh, well, he's going to steal Tosh LaPoy. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, there's a, a really good chance, you know, this time next year if Jeremy Pruitt has some head coaching options. And I'm not trying to say that he's going to take them or turn them. Whatever happens, happens. But, you know, there's a really good chance that, you know, Tosh LaPoy uh, with his recruiting, uh, with what he's done with the sack production, with the outside linebackers, he's kind of positioned himself at Alabama under Nick Saban. If Jeremy Pruitt decides to take a head coaching job um, in the next 12 months, I think there's a really good chance to touch the point by be the next defensive coordinator at Alabama. And, and that's interesting. You're bringing up um... – you're bringing up a bunch of uh, a bunch of different people that filled the offensive coordinator position. What's Alabama's timetable for replacing Lane Kiffin, and who are the candidates for the position in your mind? Have they changed any over the past week? You know, Thomas, I have not heard any names at all, except for you know the three names that are currently on the staff at Alabama, and I'm not saying that those are going to be the guys that, that ends up being the offensive coordinator. But, you know, outside of Sarkeesian, Mike Loxley, and Billy Napier, I, me personally, I have not heard another name. Um, 
or, or anything that I consider to be credible. And I, I appreciate that. I haven't had a chance to really – I haven't heard anything else either. Uh, some people want Mark Helfrich, and that's an interesting one. But eh. if you're listening live and you're not, uh, you're not near a television, Alabama is up 18-8 to 8 over USC Upstate with about, ele- about 12 minutes left in the first half. The groaning you hear in the background is Redfish wanting to jump through the phone and shoot me for talking about basketball when he's on the air. But, you know, sometimes you're at the, the mercy That's of the host. Trish. Trish. That's not true. <laughs> I'm well, actually a big Avery Johnson fan. Well, I, I, I second you on that. Avery Johnson has, you know, made the basketball program exciting and, and, and very much so something to be excited about. And the hopefully the the next year's recruits, the, the group that Alabama is bringing in next year, will really solidify this team as one of the one of the you know top twenty programs programs that could make a surge and do some things in the tournament. But even this year, you know, they're not they're not playing terribly. They're just obviously are missing a couple of pieces. But you know, Fish, getting back to the Alabama staff, you know, you mentioned the internal offensive coordinator jobs potentially being there. What other staff members, you know, aside from Lane Kiffin or Anna Wilson Love, who's in the obviously much more in the background of the program, is anyone else looking at leaving? Is there, or is this staff going to pretty much stay pat going forward beyond the national championship game? Well, you know, I think you have to kind of hit the fast forward button and look at, you know, jobs that are open out there. Obviously, none of the other guys beyond Lane Kiffin are going to get a head coaching job, I don't think, based on everything, the way it's all played out. Um, but you kind of have to look at things, um, you know, and kind of foresee into the future. I, I personally don't see it happening. I mean, you know, chance that, you know, somebody comes along and, and you know, offers uh, Billy Napier, the wide receivers coach, an opportunity to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. If he doesn't get the Alabama OC job, you know, maybe there's a move there. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's a, a great thing to make happen because, you know, he had a very uh, uh, disruptive departure from Dabo Sweeney at Clemson um, the, the one time that he was an OC at a Power 5 school. Um you know, Mario Cristobal is certainly somebody that I think um, is, is going to get head coaching mentions. But, you know, Mario's never been a play caller. He's never been an OC. He's, you know, even though he's been a, a head coach at a lower level, um, I, you know, I just don't see that working out for him at least this year. Um, I, I really think that um, the whole defensive staff, will return intact. Um, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's going to be the D.C. Um, you know, Derek Ainsley's going to return as the secondary coach. Tosh LaPoy, um, you know, and Carl Dunbar. Um, you know, just the, the only really, you know, big opening over there that I see needs to be filled is, you know, Nick Saban needs to, you know, dig into his, you know, file drawer in the bottom left-hand drawer of his desk and, you know, dig into – who he feels like is, you know, the, the next great quarterback developer that can call plays, the OC. I think that's going to be 
the only opening um, that needs to be filled on, on this Alabama football team. And, you know, I think it's a, a great thing. Um, you know, that Wayne Kissman has gotten that head coaching job, but that he's going to stick around um, and call plays, you know, throughout the playoffs. You know, got a, you know, a true freshman quarterback, um, and Jalen Hurts, who obviously just, you know, been on the same page with Lane Kiffin all season. That's certainly something that's going to help him. Um, I don't know if I would feel uneasy about somebody different being the trigger guy for him playing Washington. But if it turned out to be Clemson or Ohio State, then, yeah, I would think that would be an issue. So, you know, I think that's – you know, to me, Thomas, that that's the big thing going forward. Is that you know, you know, Wayne Kiffin's never been a big recruiter off campus for Alabama, um, so that's not something that you have to worry about, especially now that we're in the dead period. Um, but you know, I, I think this next OC hire is going to play out the same way than when Nick Saban hired Wayne Kiffin. Um, you know, they'll they'll go through the playoffs. Hopefully they beat Washington and um, you know, they go to the national championship game and beat whoever they play there. And then you'll see a real quick decision probably within Bama's last game in the college football playoffs where Nick Saban will make a decision on who the OC's gonna be. And then they'll spend the last three weeks prior to national signing day to kind of sell that guy to well, there's really not that many um, offensive recruits left out there. Uh, but he will spend the last two and a half to three weeks of January prior to National Sounding Day um, making that decision and selling that guy to the recruits. Gotcha. Interesting timetable there. And, and you know, given what we have seen, we've that, that sort of fits in. So – the the post championship celebration, should it come to pass, will will have an, an extra layer of intrigue. And but you know before Alabama hoists another national championship, obviously they've got to get by the Washington Huskies and the winner of the Clemson Ohio State game. And Redfish, I don't know if you saw this, but there was apparently a text put out by a coach or something. Somehow it got in the hands of ESPN that. Alabama and the staff had requested every Washington and Boise State tape from the past eight years to prepare for Chris Peterson and his ability to find wrinkles and add wrinkles and cause trouble for defenses that play a Chris Peterson team. And, you know, if you don't correct me if I'm wrong here, Redfish, I would think that's kind of normal in that if you have a – an opponent that you haven't seen before. You know, Alabama hasn't played a Wash- Washington in you know slightly less than forever, and they never played Boise State that I can remember. You know that, that uh, my memory is not perfect, but I certainly don't remember a big Boise State Alabama contest. So I considered it being due diligence, and with how big Alabama's staff is, it's not like going through eight years worth of games is that daunting. So, you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, this, is, this seems fairly normal to me. What, what are your thoughts about Alabama's tape request, and is it 
on the extreme end of preparedness. What do you think about this situation? Well, I think, um, you know, Thomas, when you break it down, um, Alabama's got a guy right there on their stuff. Well, they got two guys. Um, you know, one of them was the head coach. The other one was the D-line coach. And I'm talking about Steve Sarkeesian, and I'm talking about Tosh LaPoy, um, when they were together at Washington. Those two guys were considered um, ace recruiters for Washington. And, you know, I think I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Um, when they were together at Washington, um, they they evaluated, recruited, and developed. I, if I'm not mistaken, and somebody can call in or text or tweet or whatever, but I, I think that Tosh LaPoy, Steve Sarkeesian marriage at Washington produced four first-round draft picks, um, and that, that, that that's a, a school record for Washington during a four- or five um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, for Alabama fans out there, um, you know, if, if Steve Sarkeesian had not been fired as the head coach of USC, both Najee Harris and Tua Tatliaboa, or whatever his name is, the quarterback from Hawaii, would both be at USC right now. Um, that's just how strong both of those guys' relationships are with those particular players. But in, in what you're asking, um, as far as the film study, no, that's not out of the ordinary. Um, but, but this is the truth. You've got two guys on the current staff, uh, when they face Washington, you know, their upperclassmen, their juniors and their seniors, were both evaluated, recruited, and coached by both Steve Sarkeesian and Tosh LaPoy. So they're very familiar with the personnel, um, you know, even after Sarkeesian left Washington and went to USC, um, he still recruited um, their underclassmen as well, being out there in the Pac-12. And I think that's a, a big advantage for Alabama in this matchup. I mean, you know, Chris Peterson and his staff um, don't have any background or any advantages of, of Alabama's personnel, except for the guys that were out there in the Pacific Northwest um, or out there on the West Coast in California. Um, so, you know, when, when you're playing, you know, chess with your chest in, in this particular matchup, um, Chris Peterson may have the, you know, the best back of, of, of uh, trick plays in, in, in the game, but Steve Sarkeesian and Tosh Lapoy have all the evaluations about what guys can do well and what they can't do well in their back pockets. You know, one of the things it said to me is, and tell me if I'm reading too much into this little flap that came up, Washington doesn't know what they're getting into in terms of the machine that they're taking on. Am I reading too much into it, the fact that this was even an issue, like this was even a thing that came up, or we just didn't like weird news dead period, so anything that looks even slightly weird is going to make national headlines. What do you think about that? Am I reading too much there? Well, no, and I, you know, I think there's some, uh, you know, some good cross, uh, you know, robbery stuff there. I mean, um, I don't know if you know this or not, or the listeners may not know this or not, but Jake Browning, Washington's starting quarterback, played with Alabama's 
uh, All-American true freshman right tackle, Jonah Williams, for two years. You know, Jonah Williams, freshman and sophomore year in, in high school, at Folsom High School, his high school quarterback was Jake Brown. Um, so, you know, there's some carry over there. Um, you know, I, I think what it is is, you know, there's a lot of Alabama fatigue out there. You know, people want to see the, you know, the king get knocked off the mountaintop. And, and you know, Thomas, the way I look at it, and, and, you know, I hope you've known me long enough to know now, you know, I'm going to call it like I see it. You know, the Alabama coaching staff did not expect to win that national championship last year. That was a bonus. What they did, what they did forecast over through the future was, in, you know, starting in the 2016 season, you know, which we've already gone through, based on what they already had on campus and what they had coming in this recruiting class. I'm talking about the, you know, the Nigel Harris, um, you know, Jerry Judy recruiting class that's coming in in January or on National Signing Day in February. They felt like they had enough talent on campus and what they were bringing in that if they didn't win two national championships between 16 and 19, they all felt like they should be fired. So this is going to end up being, unless there's some massive surprises, being the most talented recruiting class. And I'm talking about, you know, the guys that are enrollees that are coming in January also with the guys that are going to sign the first Wednesday in February, this 2017 class. This is going to be what's considered the most talented class that Nick Saban has signed since he's been at Alabama. So, you know, nobody else is probably listening to this besides Alabama fans, but that's a scary proposition for the rest of college football. And if you look at what they brought in last year, Thomas, um, you know, taking away all the, you know, ridiculous Alabama criticisms by the fans, you could make an argument that Jalen Hurts is the best true freshman college quarterback in, in college football. Jonah Williams is the most talented offensive lineman in college football that's a true freshman. And that Josh Jacobs is the most talented true freshman running back. And then they're fixing to cycle in this next class. Um, Buddy, I don't know what else to say, but it's going to be giddy up time for the next four years. Yeah, I saw a statistic today on Twitter, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. If you ranked Alabama's 2017 early enrollees, just the early enrollees, it'd be the number four recruiting class in the country. So, that 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 kind of you know lends some credence to what you're saying, Fish. I, I don't disagree. I just I think numbers numbers don't lie, or at least you know figures lie, liars figure. But I, I don't think well, that that's you know, so big. It's such a crazy deal. Go ahead. Well, no, Thomas. If you look at it like this way, and I broke it down last night based on the the rivals rankings, and you know you can make it look real pretty if you use rivals rankings. Make it look even prettier. Two four sevens, but I'm just talking about rivals. They're going to bring in in January. You know, this is just the top ten guys that are coming in, and I think there's probably fifteen guys that are coming in. But 
you know, the, the last five or, you know, three stars and, you know, kicker, long staff or whatever, those don't factor in. But if you look at what they're bringing in based on the rivals' rankings, their top ten guys, five stars and four four-stars. You know, you've got uh, Najee Harris, you've got Alex Leatherwood, Jedrick Wills, um, you know, Van Darius Cowan, you know, the list goes on and on and on. It's, this is, without a doubt, the, most, the, the deepest and most talented recruiting class that Nick Saban's brought in. And, you know, when you factor that in with what saw on the field this past year from, you know, Jalen Hurts, Jonah Williams, Josh Jacobs, even to a lesser extent, B.J. Hammonds, Travon Diggs, um, you know, there's a reason that Alabama is not pressing harder for more defensive backs in this class because they feel so good about the ones that they brought in last year. Um, you know, it, it's you know, you know, look, I'm not, I'm, you know, if you go by the rivals' rankings, there is a chance that Ohio State will sign a better class. But over when I look at it. You know, the thing that has separated Nick Saban from the rest of college football is he puts a premium on guys being good on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And this offensive line class versus the potential of the D-line class that they can bring in, and they still have to, uh, you know, tie up some loose ends and then finish up with some guys, which I think they're going to get all of them. Also, with the linebacker class, this is easily Nick Saban's best recruiting class. I could personally, you know, go on ESPN and make the argument that this is the most talented offensive class that has ever been signed in college football history. Well, that, 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 we call that high praise. <laughs> And it's justified. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I'm not I'm not saying you're incorrect. Looking at the rankings, it is absolutely wild. But you know, I I realize that Alabama Washington still doesn't happen for another handful of days. But I wanted to just get your initial thoughts on the Huskies. I know I turned on some tape this past week. You know, after exams, I took some time to watch some football film, and. I got the distinct impression, Fish, that Washington along the lines, particularly Washington's offensive line versus Alabama's defensive line, is a bad mismatch. And pursuant to that, Jake Browning under pressure has not been very good this year. You know, look at what happened, what Colorado was able to do to him, what USC was able to do to him. What are your initial thoughts on the Washington Huskies? You know, still a few couple weeks out. We'll we'll dig deeper a little bit later. I promise. Well, I, I think you just mentioned the one that that stands out to me is you know what USC was able to do to them. You know, Alabama, and I understand it was the first game of the year, and you know they've shifted quarterbacks and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, head to head matchups mean something to me. And Alabama totally dismantled USC. USC went out to Washington and totally dismantled Washington. And really the only dynamic that was different in that was that Sam Darnold was the quarterback. 
Um, you know, uh, Washington's got a stiff at right tackle that, you know, Tim Williams, Ryan Anderson, John Allen, whoever, uh, can fix off of him. Um, I don't think that the Washington offensive line can hold up and pass pro Alabama's defensive line. Um, I, you know, I think they've got one good wide receiver. You know, obviously, uh, Browning's a good quarterback, but like you touched on, he does tend to fold a little bit when he gets under pressure. Um, the other side of the ball, um, they've got a good defense, but I really don't think um, they faced a team, you know, like Alabama that can, you know, go finesse and run zone read and then the next possession, you know, put both Scarborough in the pistol of the eye and empower it. Um, so I, I just don't think that, um, you know, that matchup is going to play into Washington's favor. I think Alabama is a uh, two-touchdown, 17-point better team than Washington. Well, I don't disagree. I've, I've – uh, people that have asked me, Fish, I've said I think Alabama is going to win by three touchdowns. And – it's going to be a close game for two and a half to three quarters. But one thing you've seen with this iteration of Alabama is you've never seen a team be able to completely hold Alabama down for an entire game, not even LSU. And I think LSU's defense is a heck of a lot better than Washington's. And when Alabama hits those afterburners, you've got to, you know, you've got to go right along with them. And I don't think Washington can do it. So I'm with you on the, you know, 14, 17, 21 point, uh, 21-point margin of victory. It might be a little bit closer for a little while, but uh, I, I buy that very, very much. And I have to say that not a bad problem to have going into the college football playoff and beating the number four team in the country by potentially two to three touchdowns. You know, so, but, but I don't want to get too deep into Washington Redfish. There will be plenty of time for player-by-player breakdowns. I'm sure that Murph Baldwin and I on my other show will be going – way 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 far down the rabbit hole there so i'll uh, i want to save a little bit of that for later and i want to shift to recruiting for the very you know the very last chunk of uh this hour number one and i wanted to get your impressions i think one of the bigger up upsets you've seen was the isaiah bugs commitment to the crimson tide over lsu what you know? What was your impression? Was that a surprise for you? You know, Alabama being able to get a guy that was considered an LSU guy, and is that really a sign of things to come? As the the wall that Les Miles built around Louisiana, which was already coming down fairly, you know, in a fairly fairly high pace, you know, given your Cam Robinson, your Landon Collins, etc., is that just a sign of things to come as LSU continues to transition? from Les Miles to Ed Orgeron? You know, I think it first started with Nick Saban. You know, he was the one that, you know, first went down there to uh, the Pelican State and, you know, kind of closed the borders. Um, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, um, you know, Alabama wasn't really in a position to get down there and get a lot of kids. But, you know, Texas, Oklahoma were poaching kids out of their left and right. Um, in the late 90s before Nick got that job. But, you know, with what you're, with what you're asking, I think, you know, the best way to describe it is for the listeners out there, 
that are familiar with Tuscaloosa's campus. Um, University Lab High School, and the reason I'm mentioning this is, you know, that's where Chris Allen, the four-star off, uh, outside linebacker, um, that's where Dylan Moses went to school. Um, that's where Les Miles' own son went to high school. The same distance from LSU's football complex as DCH High School is, I mean, excuse me, DCH Hospital is, from Alabama's football complex. I mean, LA, I mean, University Lab High School is right smack dab on LSU's campus. And for Alabama, you know, this isn't the, you know, Cameron Robinson, you know, up in Monroe or the Landon Collins deal. You know, since Nick Saban's been at Alabama, he's, he's been able to drag, you know, two good players out of that state since he's been at Alabama. But for them to go get, you know, two elite guys like Chris Allen and Dylan Moses, right smack dab, and not just Baton Rouge and Louisiana, but right smack dab on LSU's campus, that that speaks volumes. And uh, that's what's happened. Um, Certainly, Les Miles, you know, getting fired, you know, played into a lot of that. Um, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Ed Odron closes out this recruiting class this year. Um, you know, he's got a good defensive coordinator in Aranda. Um, I'm really not that familiar with, with, with Canada coming down from uh, Pittsburgh to the OC. You know, they've kind of made it public that they want to go the, you know, dual-threat quarterback spread route on offense. Um and, and, you know, if that's the case, you know, their their best chance of that, um, they lost uh, Narcisse, uh, the quarterback, he'd be committed two days ago. Um, we'll see what happens there. But that that was kind of the last mountaintop, so to speak, that I thought Nick Saban had to uh, climb and overcome was processing LSU because there is so much talent down there. And uh, he did it this year with, with the Les Miles firing. And, uh, you know, not only have they gotten Christopher Allen, uh, Dylan Moses from, from University Lab right on LSU's campus, you know, they've really pressed um, LSU uh, with a five-star commitment um, from the top safety prospects in the country with Jacoby uh, Stevens from Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I'm not saying that he's going to flip, but they've really made that a uh, manageable ballgame. And, and you know, we're talking about highly related recruits. Uh, I, I think the biggest, well, not I think, everybody knows the number one recruit in America right now, Najee Harris, been committed to Alabama for forever, just took an, offense, an official visit to Michigan. And now it seems like it's a two-horse race. You know, Fish, a direct question for you. Is Najee Harris in Crimson come, I mean, shoot, we're talking three weeks from now because he's an early enrollee. Is he, is he still rolling with the tide this time next month? You know, from everything that I've heard, I've been told, Thomas, um, I think Michigan made it interesting. Um, but I, I think Najee Harris and his family, you know, they've been committed to Alabama for over a year. 
They've seen everything that they have to offer. Um, you know, I, I do think that, that Jim Harbaugh made it interesting. But I think that, you know, when push comes to shove, um, Dodge Harris is going to end up at Alabama. So, you know, with Harris coming, that that's obviously a big piece and going to be very interesting to see what the running back situation looks like this time next year because Harris, as you've said, and having watched his film and talked to other recruitniks, you know, John Garcia's and the like, uh, Harris is a transcendent talent. Like, who do you, who do you see who do you see closing out this class? I mean, obviously Alabama's got a fairly large number of commitments now. How many more slots are available, and who do you think fills those slots? Well, yeah, I think Nick Saban has to make the decision. Um, I, I think that the offensive side of the football is, is really concentrated on the wide receiver spot, and you know. They're chasing after two guys that are left. Uh, you know, one being Henry Ruggs, uh, the wide receiver from Montgomery, and Devonta Smith, the wide receiver from Louisiana. Um, I do still think there's a chance that Alabama only takes one more of those guys, especially with, you know, them wanting to reload the defensive line position on the other side of the football. But there, there is a chance that Alabama still takes two wide receivers. And, you know, that's it for offense. And then you have to flip over to the other side of the football and start talking about, you know, D-line guys and, uh, you know, secondary guys. Um, I, you know, I do think that I totally agree with what a lot of the experts have said um, about Najee Harris. I mean, I, I think he is – the best high school running back prospect since Adrian Peterson. I mean, this guy is scary good. And, you know, Alabama really hasn't had a guy like that in the fold. I think probably the closest one to that based on, you know, recruiting hype that, that came onto campus was Trent Richardson. Um, but, you know, if they hang on not figures and, you know, sign – you know, Henry Ruggs or Devonta Smith, I think Alabama will execute out of what should be the greatest offensive recruiting class that's ever been signed. Well, there you have it. Fish, I had one more question. Someone sent me this, and I know we kind of talked about it a little bit ago, but someone asked, one of the rumors that's been kicked around a little bit is Tosh Lupoy to the University of Florida as defensive coordinator to replace departed Jeff Collins. Is that – I know you said you don't see the defensive staff changing. You know, is there any credence to that, or is that just one of the many – the coaching carousel silly, let's throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. You know, what's your reaction to that rumor? Um, you know, my initial reaction would be I just don't see um, – you know, with the struggles – the coach back has had down there at Florida on the offensive side of the football. I, I just don't see him hiring a guy that has never been a, a big-time defensive coordinator um, at the SEC level. And, you know, that there is a big-time resume out there for Tosh LaFoy and what he's done. Um, you know, since he's been at Alabama, he's increased the sack production. 
um, you know, for the last two years, D.C. And I just don't see Coach McElwain, who's, you know, from what I'm told, he's on thin ice down there with the Florida Gator Nation. Um, you know, they're, they're still wanting to see the next uh, fun-and-done offense from a Steve Spurrier. Um, the reason they hired Coach Mack is they thought, you know, if he got the right quarterback, he was going to, you know, kind of reinvent that fun and gun stuff. Um, so I, I just don't see him uh, bringing in Tosh Lapoy to be his next defensive coordinator when Tosh has never been that guy at a Power 5 school. Um, you know, when you lose a guy like Jeff Collins, um, you know, he, he cut his teeth at Mississippi State, you know, went down to Florida to prove that. Um, you know, number one, they're not going to offer him that much more money um, than what he's making now at Alabama to come do that at Florida because, you know, Florida's cheap. So, no, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I think Tosh LaPoy is going to stay put at Alabama and if Jeremy Pruitt gets a head coaching job this time next year, you'll see Nick Saban promote Tosh LaPoy into being the next defensive coordinator at Alabama. You know, you just made a point, and I realize this is an Alabama show, but I'm going to ask anyway, are Florida Gator fans being a little unrealistic given that Jim McElwain is recruiting against what is now an exceptionally loaded state of Florida, you know, Butch Davis at FIU, Lane Kiffin at FAU, Charlie Strong at USF. Uh, I think it's Scott Frost now is at UCF, and he's turned that team around really, really well. And then I'm not even mentioning, you know, Rick at Miami and Jimbo at Florida State. Is it realistic to think that the Steve Spurrier fun and gun is going to really come back to Florida given what McIlwain has to overcome? Well, Thomas, I think you have to kind of expand it out and look at it from a state-by-state basis. There is a really good chance um, for Nick Saban at Alabama this year, number one offensive lineman, the number one defensive lineman, and the number one wide receiver out of the state of Florida this year. And I'm talking about Alex Leatherwood, Jerez Parks, and Jerry Judy. Um, you know, when I was in school at Alabama, you know, that comment came, you know, down through to all of us from Roger Saltz, you know, that made the comment that uh, Alabama needs to, you know, pay property taxes on Neyland Stadium. But I, I don't see that working out well for uh, Jimbo or, or Mark Rick or, or Jim McElwain. I mean, they've gone down there to that state this year and gotten the three best players. You know, in my mind, I don't even care about Judy, but, you know, when you get Alex Leatherwood and Jarvis Parks, um, that, that tells me all I need to know. But that there has not been a bigger state than the state of Florida for, from Nick Saban's standpoint uh, of where he's gone and gotten great player, elite players from, and, and that's the state of Florida, and he's done it again this year. 
Well, Redfish, I, I'm going to give a quick update on the basketball game. It is Alabama 39, USC Upstate 26. So you know, Avery Johnson appears to have put together a, uh, a a solid first half. Hopefully he can close it out. But, you know, mentioning closing out, it's been a heck of a fast hour, I have to say. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. Thank you for having me, Thomas. Absolutely. Well, that was uh, – we will catch you next week, Fish, but uh, that was William Redfish Barger live talking everything Alabama. It was great to hear from him, great to get his insight, great to do uh, pretty much anything Redfish. I hope you enjoyed it. But as it said, that is pretty much the close of the first hour. On top of the basketball score, the Los Angeles Rams, by some miracle, are driving on the Seattle Seahawks. So – they might actually score, which I didn't think was going to happen, given that the Rams are a dumpster fire. You know, whatever. Just just updates. The one thing you will not miss is the fact that the Seahawks are wearing nuclear radioactive lime green uniforms. But that's neither here nor there to most of the Bama Nation, but it is time for us to take our one quick break. Hour number two coming up, we do have some audio from Chris Kirchner and Brian Passink. Also, if you want to get in, ask me questions, give your thoughts on Washington, give your thoughts on whatever you've heard during hour number one, give us a call at 714-510-3707. We'd love to, or I'd love to hear from you. But uh, until then, until we take a quick break, we'll be right back for more BAMS Radio. We'd love to hear from you talking anything you want, Crimson Tide. But, 
you know, Drew, before he shot off to cover the Bama basketball game, was nice enough to send me some audio. And since we just talked with Redfish about recruiting, here is uh, Drew DeArmon talking with Chris Kirchner, also a recruitment, to give his takes on some of the more recent ramblings around the Crimson Tide in this 2017 recruiting class. Chris, it's always great to reconnect with you this afternoon. And I know we just had some breaking news that we broke going into break, but a big get for Alabama along the defensive line. Yeah. Um, well, first off, this was definitely unexpected. He was supposed to <laughs> right. make his decision um, tomorrow, um, talking about Isaiah Bugs, the nation's number one junior college defensive lineman. Um, definitely caught me off guard. Um, I was expecting Bugs to commit to Alabama um, going into his official visit this past weekend. I was told going into the visit that he was pretty much a lock at that point. Um, uh, the, the, the visits he received from Nick Saban and Carl Dunbar during the contact period really opened his eyes to Alabama because um, I had said before, um, Bugs had never visited Alabama um, previously um, prior to this past weekend. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be hard to get his commitment, but once he actually um, you know, had that face-to-face with um, Nick Saban over the past week, uh, Alabama definitely became the favorite and won a giant recruiting battle. I've been, um, you know, from several sources close to the program over the past several months, they told me that Isaiah Buzz was the guy that they needed in this class. And obviously Alabama got him over LSU, um, which was the longtime favorite for the Louisiana natives. Again, it's another Louisiana Hmm. prospect that Alabama seemingly takes away from LSU at the last minute. Yeah. And then they've already, um, now have financial aid papers signed by uh, mm-hmm. Dylan Moses, who uh, visited LSU officially this past weekend. He's a Baton Rouge native, and then uh, with uh, Chris Allen. So, so far, Coach Ogeron is uh, needing to kind of plug some holes in the boat a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, during his press conference, um, when he officially took over the, the job at LSU, he mentioned that he was going to, you know, close close the, uh, the border lines over, um, you know, Louisiana and so far, he has not done that. You know, he's lost a um, – couldn't flip Dylan Moses. He lost a big-time prospect in Chris Allen. And now Isaiah Bugs is headed to Tuscaloosa. So, so far, um, Ed Orgeron is not looking that great against Alabama when it comes to major recruiting battles. Yeah, so far. And then I know uh, you did an outstanding job of covering some of these other early enrollee young men who are going to uh, be in just a few weeks – uh, on their uh, the campus at the University of Alabama. I know there was a little bit of worry uh, with Alex Leatherwood visiting Florida this past mm-hmm. weekend, but as you reported, it looks like uh, everything is uh, to go for him to Alabama. Yeah, it's all done. Um, you know, Alex has definitely uh, enjoyed the recruiting process, to say the least. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we've seen him tell reporters that his commitment to Alabama was iffy, um, that he was looking around. He wasn't so sure if Alabama was the place for him. But, you know, he's just a kid that, you know, wanted to, you know, get people going on Twitter, make people from other fan bases have hope, and then I guess just crush him in the end because, he, I mean, he really wasn't playing, uh, planning on going to any other school. Um, he, he's probably the closest um, recruit I'm um, closest with in the class of 2017, so I knew – all along that, you know, Alabama was going to be the school that he chose um, in the end. But, again, it's his recruitment, and he can do what he wants, how he wants to go about it. That's his business. Um, But, yeah, Alabama definitely is happy that Leatherwood 
um, is as solid as you can possibly be um, when recruits do take other visits elsewhere because it's always a concern um, when these kids go elsewhere and they're committed to a school because you never know what the, the other coaching staff is going to tell him. He may hear something that um, you know Alabama hasn't promised him um, up until this point. But, again, um, Alex is 100% solid. He's going to be signing his financial aid papers any day now, and that's the only school he's going to sign those papers with. And uh, well, you've done as good a job as any, really the best, of, de- of developing relationship uh, with Tua Tagovailoa and his family. I know he, of course, was offered by Willie Taggart in Oregon. Then Florida has come on and offered him. But you have been able to get reaction from Tua and his family. It looks as though all the work done by Josh Lupoy has has uh, really led to the led to a solid uh, commitment and uh, and uh, Tua being ready to uh, enroll early in just a few weeks. Yeah, you know, obviously, again, there was some cause for concern. LSU offered him. Yes, um, it looked like Lane Kiffin was going to, you know, be LSU's offense coordinator. Um, obviously, that's not the case anymore. And then uh, Oregon flew out to Hawaii to have an in-home visit with him. But none of that really mattered because, um, you know, he is an early enrollee. He's going to be starting school next month. I think if there was more time for those schools to possibly recruit him more, um, maybe there would have been a chance, but again, he's so locked into Alabama, nothing was going to change his mind. He could pick up offers from every Division One school from here on until January. It's not going to matter. He's going to Alabama. He's locked in with his commitment, and he's been locked into his commitment ever since he made that decision in May. Um, I know, obviously, there was some concern uh, about the distance. He's obviously 4,000 miles away from Tuscaloosa, and a lot of the times kids that far from um, home decide to stay closer to home. But um, two and his family have grown very comfortable at Alabama. They love the coaching staff, as you mentioned, Tosh Lupoy. Um, again, uh, he's done a fantastic job of um, connecting with these kids and their families to make sure that, um, you know, Alabama is the school they ultimately sign with. And uh, Tua is definitely going to Alabama. And then, of course, uh, the one everyone is trying to follow, and it's been kind of crazy uh, since he he made his visit to Michigan uh, and uh, the and returned later than anticipated. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on Najee Harris? Yeah, um, it's it's definitely um, a mysterious recruitment for sure. Um, you know, I, I did spend several days in um, Northern California a couple weeks ago. Uh, talk to as many people around Najee as possible. And um, from that time, it definitely seemed like it was going to be a surprise if he ended up anywhere other than Alabama. But, you know, from talking with those people, you know, over the past couple of days and, and weeks um, leading up to the visit and then after the visit, no one really knows what Najee is going to do. Um, you know, reporters can say they have all their sources, um, if they want, but really nobody knows what Najee's going to do. He's a very quiet kid. He doesn't really like the recruiting process. He keeps to himself. Um, Even those closest to him don't know what he's doing. I'm talking um, mom, uh, trainers, mentors, coaches. No one knows what he's ultimately going to do. But, you know, from talking to sources close to the program, they don't really expect him to change his mind on coming to Alabama he absolutely loves everything about the program. Um, 
I think one interesting part about his um, decision is that, you know, Najee is definitely a workout freak. He loves working out, um, mm-hmm. does it multiple times per day. He feels like Scott Cochran is um, the best uh, strength coach in college football. So maybe that is one of the main reasons why he would ultimately stick with Alabama. But again, it's so unclear and no one really knows what he's going to do. And then uh, with the, the way the rest of this class could shake out, we know they're going to go heavy on defensive linemen, Chris, mm-hmm. uh, and they get one of them today, a day early, Isaiah Bugs. Uh, they also brought in Chauncey Rivers, another junior college transfer, formerly the Georgia Bulldogs. And so th- it's a little bit unclear where he stands. Uh, and then, of course, we know about Javon Kinlaw, the former South Carolina commit, LeBron Ray, and Aubrey Solomon. It's going to be intriguing to follow because they need – the biggest need of this class was probably D-line. Uh, we've, and the first domino was today, but they're going to have to add several more pieces. Yeah, Um it's definitely um, moving forward until signing day. That's definitely the main area that Alabama needs to address. Obviously, they got a big piece today in Isaiah Bugs, uh, number one junior college lineman. But, yeah, several more are definitely going to be added. Um, you mentioned the Brian Ray. I was at James Clemens High School yesterday yes, you were. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for the four-star defensive end. Um, still seems like, you know, it's a Alabama – Tennessee race, uh, even though he has um, a top five, I think those two schools are definitely the favorites to um, land LeBron. But, uh, again, I, I've said this before on, on your show, I think it would be a, a giant shock if he ended up anywhere other than Alabama um, when he does make his decision. He doesn't have a commitment date set yet, but, again, I expect him to choose Alabama at that time. You mentioned Javon Kinlaw. He's definitely shot up Alabama's big board at defensive line. Uh, he visited for the Iron Bowl. Couldn't talk to um, the coaches at that time because according to junior college rules, you need to um, finish two semesters in JUCO before you can actually be recruited. So once um, he finishes his semester, um, expect Alabama to definitely um, put it to full gear when it comes to recruiting him. Um, and then you mentioned, um, you know, other defensive linemen, Aubrey Solomon, five-star defensive tackle. I think it's still an Alabama-Georgia race. I was actually told a couple of days ago that um, Alabama is considered the favorite, but I really don't know if I fully trust that yet because um, mm-hmm. for me living in Georgia, um, Solomon is definitely all over the place when it comes to his recruitment. He's had like six or seven different schools be his <laughs> top school at one point, so he's definitely all over the place. Um, when it comes to his recruitment. So I definitely wouldn't say that I'm extremely confident Alabama is going to land him. I know the coaching staff feels like they're in a good spot when it comes to um, landing his commitment. But, again, it's it's still so early for his recruitment to even take anything that I hear about leaders at this point seriously because, like I said, he's had six or seven schools be his top school at one point. And, Chris, uh, I haven't heard a lot of buzz since the visit. Now, I heard it went well, uh, but uh, the, with the little bit I have been able to uh, kind of ascertain or find out, Joshua Kane, though, hearing a lot of buzz about Florida State, have, do you have any uh, info on him in Alabama? No, I don't. Um, he's very tight-lipped when it comes to his recruitment. Um, mm. You know, he just became like a serious defensive line target for Alabama a couple weeks ago, um, right 
uh, right before he decommitted from Maryland, but I haven't been able to get in contact with him. Doesn't answer his phone. Um, none of the people around him answer their phones, so it's definitely uh, another mystery as far as where he stands with Alabama. Very interesting. And then I know as far as they'd like to at least take one more defensive back, uh, they've continued to pursue Jacoby Stevens, who's committed mm-hmm. to LSU. But I also know over the last month there seems to be increased interest and optimism with D'Angelo Gibbs. Yeah, um, I was at the state championship game. He and his Grayson teammates won on Saturday night in the Georgia Dome. Um, but, yeah, I talked to Gibbs right after that game. And it definitely seemed like he was loving Alabama. Like you, you know, you can you can see it in their face when you're interviewing them. Like oh, yes. have, they look brighter. They have a big smile on their face. Um, obviously, Nick Saban landed his helicopter on Grayson's um, high school <laughs> field uh, right. a couple of days ago. He absolutely loved that. Um, but yeah, I think Alabama is definitely in a really good position when it comes to signing Gibbs. Um, again, I think it's another Alabama Georgia race for for Gibbs. Um, for the longest time, it looked like Georgia was the overwhelming favorite. Um, if anything, Alabama has definitely narrowed that gap. And I would probably say it's 50-50 at this point when it comes to um, the battle of D'Angelo Gibbs, who has definitely um, emerged as one of Alabama's, if not the top defensive back target, who could actually commit to um, the tide. I know you mentioned uh, Jacoby Stevens, the five-star LSU mm-hmm. commit, but he seems pretty much locked in with his commitment at this point. Um, it would be interesting to see what happens if LSU, for some reason, decides to part ways with Corey Raymond. Um, you know, Raymond is one of the best defensive backs, backs coach in college football, but I think if, if LSU decided to part ways with Raymond for some reason, I think Alabama would definitely um, surge very quickly up his list of possible, uh, possible destinations. Well, great stuff, Chris, as always. We appreciate the insight. Let everybody know, of course, about your stuff on SEC Country and what you're going to be working on and where they can connect with you on Twitter, sir. Yeah, um, make sure you guys download the SEC Country app first off, Mm -hmm. Apple and Android, and then you can follow me on Twitter, Chris Kirshner. That was Chris Kirshner, an interview that Drew did earlier this week, Talking Recruiting. Uh, I will say, if you're listening live, I have phone lines open, but I'm obviously not popular this evening. It happens. There's a lot of stuff going on. It is the holidays. So I'm going to go on and play our next little bit of audio. We're going to shift the show to basketball. If someone calls in and wants to talk football, we can do that, of course. But we're going to shift to basketball a little bit. This is a conversation that Drew had with Brian Passink earlier this week, and then we'll have a little Avery Johnson audio, and I might let the show end a little early. But here we go with a little conversation between Drew and Brian. Brian, uh, thank you for taking some time uh, today, this afternoon. Uh, how are you doing? Doing great, Drew. How are you? Doing well. And I know it was a little heartbreaking, uh, you and Chris Stewart uh, in Oregon this past weekend on Sunday. The Tide, I thought, really uh, took some, made some steps forward uh, as, a, as a team, playing one of the better teams in the country on the road, getting down big early, but playing in a very good second half. And once again, the last riddle that seems to need to be solved is execution offensively in the final two minutes. Yeah, I agree with you on all of it. I I thought this team got better. I thought Alabama uh, had improved in its off week, at least off the court. It was exam week, so a lot going on uh, scholastically. But uh, from a 
from a, a basketball standpoint, I thought they got in the gym and improved since the Texas game. Unfortunately, it didn't end with, with a win, and Alabama uh, had put themselves in a really good spot with under four minutes to play, a one-point game, Alabama leading that and, and not able uh, to get it done on either end of the floor late in the game. But what I did see and what I really liked is the competitive nature that I saw in the second half. Down 14 uh, against one of the top teams in the country, and, and don't let Oregon's uh, ranking of, uh, I think, 22 or 23, whatever it was last week, fool you. That's a top 10, top 5 caliber team with Dylan Brooks, and Dylan Brooks was back. And uh, they're a team that looks a lot like they did last year. Uh, a number one seed a year ago, they expect to be not just back in the NCAA tournament, but to make a run to the Final Four. And Alabama put themselves in a position to win that game. Uh, didn't get it done, so that was disappointing. But I liked some things that I saw. I love what Dante Hall was able to bring in a starting role. And I thought just from an overall standpoint and a competitive standpoint, this team got better, and that's what you want to see this time of year. You want to win games, obviously, that's number one. Uh, but you want to get better, and this team uh, seems to be doing that. So hopefully that's the case moving forward. Yeah, and the, the one thing that I, uh, I think they just need to figure out is they're not getting a lot of consistent offense from the off-guard position. I know Corbin Collins is really – uh, been starting, but he's more of a point guard and playmaker, though he can make shots. Uh, Armand Davis had a a, a a point in the game where he got hot, but still struggled with his three-point shot. Uh, any concern about Alabama getting consistent offense from their off-guard position? Yeah, it is a concern, and it and it's uh, those are areas that that need to be uh, improved and addressed, and and I believe that's the case. I, I like the way Armand played. Uh, He's been in and out of the rotation. Uh, he's from that area, from uh, Tacoma, Washington, mm-hmm. just about a, a three- or four-hour drive uh, from Eugene. So it was great to see him play and play well with, with so many fans and family and friends in the stands. Uh, and hopefully that will help him. He's somebody that can really shoot the ball from, from the three-point line. Uh, he struggled this year. He struggled in Eugene against Oregon, just over 5 from the three-point line. Uh, but he's someone – as a junior college transfer that I think will get more used to, to playing at, at the Division One level and help this team at that position. He and Corbin Collins, uh, I think, have the, the capabilities to do that and give this team some scoring from that off-guard spot. And Alabama uh, has struggled from, from beyond the arc, and they did against Oregon, just two for 19. Uh, and this is a much better shooting team than that two for 19 would, would, would show you. Uh, but we heard Avery talk about in the post game that the the inability to take uh, good shots, to pass up some open shots, and maybe take some bad shots, and, and those are things that I think are are areas that can can get better. They need to get better, and I anticipate that to happen. Yeah, and I think uh, the one thing that uh, as, you, as you already mentioned in the opening, Brian, the the definite highlight. Uh, of the uh, of the basketball game was the second half of Dante Hall. That was his dominant second half from an Alabama big as I've seen in several years. Yeah, it was exciting to see because uh, Dante, we, we've all seen him play well at times, and you feel like his future is really bright. Uh, but with the team struggling and and Alabama needing uh, a, a jolt of energy of some of some sort that Dante could do that. He, he got his first ever college start and I don't expect it to be his last because he produced, he played probably 
his best game in an Alabama uniform, 14 points, seven rebounds, several highlight real plays on both ends of the floor. We know what he could do defensively, but this team needs scoring on the inside as well, and he gave it to them. Uh, so that was great to see, and uh, Dante is someone who, just a, just a sophomore, uh, it's that, that time where Avery wanted to see what he could do, uh, giving him more minutes, more of an opportunity to start. But one of the things that, that I noticed after uh, I sat back and, and re- looked at what he was able to do on the floor, 14.7 rebounds, but one of the reasons he was able to get that 14 points and seven rebounds is because he was on the floor for 25 minutes. And it wasn't just because he started, it's because he, he stayed out of foul trouble. And that's been an issue for Dante over the course of his career. Staying out of foul trouble, staying on the floor, there are times, whether it was in a, a starting role or coming off the bench, that I'm sure the coaches would have liked to see him on the floor more, but foul trouble has plagued him. So uh, that's an area that he needs to improve in as much as any. Just two personal fouls against Oregon, uh, that led to one of his best games. Yeah, and I, and I thought uh, down the stretch uh, that, that uh, both Corbin Collins and Dazon Ingram did a good job of trying to help set up their teammates uh, in running the team. It's just the one thing that it just seems to be lacking. And, of course, last year early on in the season, Retino Bossahan kind of took that bull by the horns. They don't yet have that identified guy to that's going to uh, that, that you look to down the stretch to score. They don't, and and that is uh, the downside of having a team that, yes, has depth, but you don't have that separation uh, between many of these players. So last year was obvious. Retno Basahan is going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to make a play for himself or for teammates. Uh, there were no questions. Uh, this year's team, uh, there are questions, and that's something that they're going to have to develop and figure out and Avery Johnson and his staff are working on every single day to try to improve because when you look at the losses, uh, there have been reasons throughout the game why they've lost, but late game situations against Dayton, Valparaiso, Texas, and Oregon, uh, there has uh, been a struggle on both ends of the floor, uh, not, not an obvious guy to go to down the stretch. They've tried different guys. I think Dazon Ingram, uh, Braxton Key, those are two candidates that you want the ball in their hands in late-game situations. Now, uh, the the good news, or uh, depending if you're a glass-half-full guy like I am, the good news is <laughs> those guys are starting to do that. They haven't had success in those areas, but let's not forget, Braxton Key is a freshman, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and so is Dazon Ingram. Those are two freshmen that you're depending on. Obviously, Dazon played – seven games last year, got the medical red shirt. But the two guys that I think are the most likely candidates to be your go-to guys, your leaders down the stretch, are just freshmen. That bodes well for the future, uh, but it's time for those those freshmen to grow up. And you also have some other others in there that can step up, like a Riley Norris, a veteran, a Shannon Hale. Uh, and then we saw what Dante Hall uh, is capable of. But all those guys, uh, with the exception of Shannon and, and Riley, are very young players. Yeah, they really are. And I thought that was the key to the reason they didn't get over the hump against Oregon because Braxton had been playing so well and scoring the ball. He only ends up with six, and then Shannon Hale and Riley Norris combined for no points. Yeah, and uh, that that's one of the reasons that, that Alabama struggled. I, I, you look at the stats, and you're playing against one of the top teams in the country on the road against Oregon. And you go two for 19 from the three-point line, 
and still have a chance to win. Uh, if you would have told me two for 19 from three against a team like Oregon on the road, I, I would have told you Alabama would not have had a chance to win that game. So it shows you uh, that this team is getting better in other areas, defending at a higher level, rebounding the ball at a higher level, giving themselves a chance to win. And I, I don't know if this team is going to be a great three-point shooting team uh, by the end of the year, but they will be a better three-point shooting team. And if those numbers come up, which I expect them to, uh, this this Alabama team still has a chance to get better and better as we get closer to SEC play. And as we wind down the, the time with you, Brian, and we really appreciate it, uh, tonight against USC Upstate, the last home game before SEC play opens against Mississippi State, uh, just your thoughts on uh, on uh, this this matchup? They they did scare Auburn quite a bit. Yeah, this is I think a quality team, and they're a dangerous team. They shoot the three really well. They have a a big guy inside, and Michael Buchanan, who's seven feet, two hundred eighty pounds. Uh, so this this is gonna this this is a team that that could present some problems. If Alabama isn't ready to play, but uh, the last game, uh, not the last home game, but the last game in Tuscaloosa, because the Legacy Arena on Sunday, that's going to be a home game uh, for Alabama against Clemson. And even uh, Arkansas State coming up in your neck of the woods, that's a home game uh, to, to, to be with the Alabama fans in the Huntsville area. Really excited about going to Huntsville uh, for the first time in, in way too long. But that's something that Avery uh, definitely wanted to do is when he got the job is bring the Crimson Tide up to Huntsville. So still uh, some important games left on the non-conference slate. And it's really important because you want to see the enthusiasm of the fan base. Uh, I'm, the Oregon atmosphere last year was outstanding. Alabama, would, uh, led by Justin Coleman, almost pulled that game out. You're playing against a 7-2 and two Clemson squad, and it's the last chance in the pre-conference uh, to really uh, get a nice win for your resume. Yeah, that's an important game for, for the reasons you mentioned because Alabama has had opportunities and unfortunately not able – to get those in the non-conference. Clemson is a big opportunity, a good team out of the ACC, one of the best players in the country in Jerron Blassingame. Got to defend him, but that'll be exciting. Alabama-Clemson, Legacy Arena in Birmingham, hopefully be another great crowd like we saw last year for Oregon when they came to, to town. Yes, and then uh, in Huntsville, uh, we're very excited to host that game, Brian, uh, for obvious reasons. We know John Petty will be suiting up for the Tide next year, but this is a passionate basketball area. North Alabama, we we like to brag, has the best uh, high school basketball in the state, we feel. And it's really great to have Avery and his group coming back and playing against a quality opponent in Arkansas State, led by John Brady, who beat Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas State is, is a team that uh, is picked uh, to, to uh, up near the, the top of the Sun Belt. So good quality opponent uh, coming into Huntsville. But I, I'm, I know everybody associated with the Alabama program is pumped up about going to North Alabama, Alabama and Huntsville and uh, because of great basketball community, ton of fans there. And so that ought to be a great atmosphere and hopefully – give Alabama a chance for a big win against Arkansas State. No question about it. And, Brian, finally, the last question, what are the keys you're looking for tonight from the, from the squad to, to beat this USC Upstate team? Well, I think you got to defend the three. Uh, they're a team that shoots it well from a lot of different spots. And you got to be tough on the inside. They've got a seven-footer. Uh, but for Alabama, it's about getting better. I thought this team got better from Texas to Oregon. 
I thought they did that on the defensive end. Their competitive spirit seemed to be as good as it's been all year. So those are the things you look for. Uh, right now, this is a very young team that's trying to find their way, trying to identify leaders. So that's something I want to see as well. It should be outstanding action. We look forward to hearing your call with Chris Stewart tonight. I will be there heading to Tuscaloosa later this afternoon. Looking forward to seeing the next chapter in this team. That was Drew DeArmond with Brian Passink. And, uh, well, that game continues. I think Alabama's up big. I've been trying to find score updates, but Twitter is being somewhat of a headache today. Alabama was up. It's up 57 38, 11 minutes left. So Alabama's pretty comfortably ahead by this point. I do have a caller before I play the next little bit of audio that we're going to have on BAMS Radio. I want to go on and welcome Bama Bubba to the program. Bubba, how you doing this evening, buddy? Doing good. How are you doing, my friends? I'm pretty good. I get to sit in my chair. I've got the L.A. Rams and the Seattle Seahawks on one of my monitors. You know, the Rams or the Seahawks uniforms are painful. I've got Twitter and BAMs and chat on another monitor, so I am geeking out hardcore right now. You are living the dream, my man, living the dream. Absolutely. Now, one thing I, I was going to talk about, um, I was curious, you know, uh, people had said in the past, I believe Fish had mentioned it and some other people, that, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, we're hoping he's going to make that big jump uh, between the end of the, the SEC championship game and the beginning of the playoffs, kind of like Jake Coker did. And I'm still kind of hoping that happens. But I'm also thinking with Lane Kiffin's got his new head coaching gig, this is basically going to be a showcase for recruits that he wants to come to his school. Um, so I'm just I'm, – I'm curious – I don't know. I mean, I know you probably couldn't answer it, but I'm just kind of curious what Lane – would he still do this? I'm sure he'll do the same offense. But I wonder if he might, you know, tweak it a little bit, juice it up a little bit, you know, show some things and flash and dash to try to, you know, obviously – you know, show the defense some things they hadn't seen before. You want to do that. But, I mean, really put on a show, I guess is what I'm trying to say, um, for, for for us to win the championship, but also his future, you know, his future recruits or his future job. And I was curious about what you thought about that. If Lane Kiffin is going to try and do something different for the Washington game, I, I don't think he's going to do that. I think that every time that Lane Kiffin, has, the offenses look differently. Like, I look at the Michigan State-Alabama game last year. If you broke down those teams ahead of time, you knew that Alabama was going to have a tough time running between the tackles just because of how stout Michigan State was along the interior of the defensive line and their middle linebacker. I think his name was Riley Bulla. And that, that was going to be a tough area to make work. So you saw Lane Kiffin hit the edges with jet sweeps and you know flare outs to Calvin Ridley, et cetera, et cetera, and Alabama ended up running away with that thirty eight nothing. So I think going into this Washington game, and I'll be honest, I haven't watched enough Washington tape to really know how Alabama is going to attack. I think you're going to see some serious physicality because you know that's that's what USC did. If, if you want to draw a parallel between what I think Alabama fans will see, pull up that tape from the USC game because USC was able to establish the run and do some things on the ground. And they were able to then turn that into do some, they just ended up being balanced. So 
I think that's what you could see from Lane Kiffin going forward, going into the Washington game. I do think that, unfortunately for Washington, the only other time they've played a team as talented or even in the stratus, Alabama stratosphere of talent was against USC, and Washington was, quite frankly, overmatched. So I do think they are running into a buzzsaw this, uh, this you know, two and a half weeks from now, however what it is, Bubba. What would be interesting to see is when the talent gap closes. And, you know, make no mistake about it, no matter if Alabama plays a Clemson or plays an Ohio State, the talent gap will be much, much thinner. And how Lane Kiffin chooses to attack that group might be different. But unfortunately, you know, one of the variables that you have to take into account with that specific game is something that we haven't seen yet. And what we haven't seen is, does Jalen Hurts take that step forward? I, I don't know. I hope so. We've seen other Alabama quarterbacks do it, but we have to see. If Jalen Hurts' repertoire opens up, the offense could look radically different. But, you know, at the point you're talking about where Alabama would play a Clemson or an Ohio State, that is almost a full month away. And a lot can happen in that time. So I don't even want to try and speculate about that. I think Alabama is going to play a solid offensive game that looks a lot like what USC did against Washington, though. Is that... But to answer your question, no, I don't think you're going to see a crazy flashy change. That that I'll, I'll actually answer your question now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think if he ran the ball, that would be a relief for everybody if if he does that. But I didn't know if maybe you know they obviously they've worked some they're going to be working on the past games some more because you want to develop your quarterback to continue to develop him. So I was thinking maybe he might try a few more things. And, you know, the only thing I've heard on defense is everybody seems to be worried about trick plays from, you know, and, and I'm not really – I mean, I guess if you're playing Alabama and you don't think you're going to win, if that's the only chance you got, I guess you'd pull out all the stops and do it. So I could see that happening, but I'm just not sure how effective it would be against the speed of the Alabama defense. I, I just don't see it working out. Well, I think at the end of the day – when you're talking about that, uh, Chris Peterson's really, really good at coming up with trick plays, coming up with wrinkles to surprise a defense. He did it at Boise State. He's done it to a certain extent at Washington. So it's something that Alabama, the Alabama defense has to be prepared for. Excuse me. But at the same time, you know, I don't think Washington's going to beat Alabama off a Statue of Liberty playing a flea flicker. Now, it can be worth a touchdown. That that I, I absolutely grant that it can be worth a touchdown. But I don't know if this if the Husky defense can hold the Alabama offense under, you know, twenty five to thirty points, assuming that Jalen Hurts doesn't turn into a turnover machine. So yeah, one touchdown could be a big deal. But I, I just I think it's if if Washington comes in relying on trick plays to get that spark, uh, that's not a winning formula against this Alabama team because if they don't work, I mean, you saw what big plays did for the Alabama defense when they played Florida. Those three interceptions settled the defense down, gave the offense a lead, and Alabama never looked back, cruising to a 54-16 to win. So I wouldn't get too worried about any of that. I think you'll see a couple of them. You'll see a couple of attempts. But 
it's not going to be the death knell of the Alabama Crimson Tide should they succeed. Gotcha. Well, all right, Thomas. That's all I have, buddy. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon, my friend. Absolutely, Bubba. Thanks for calling, and uh, have a good evening. All right. You too, buddy. That was our good friend Bubba. I actually have him on hold, but so you can keep listening. Um, if you want to call in and talk Washington or talk something else that you've seen or heard or whatever, number 714-510-3707. I've got one more piece of audio. It's a brief Avery Johnson thing, but before I do that, I want to say the Seahawks have scored 10 points to take a 10-0 lead on the L.A. Rams, and looking at it, Alabama's up 63-44 with about nine minutes remaining. I think that's going to be a Bama W, so hopefully some momentum going forward for the Avery Johnson version of the Crimson Tide. Speaking of, this is a brief conversation that Drew had. I believe it's some press conference audio that he had with Avery Johnson uh, from about a week ago. So here is Drew Armin talking to Avery Johnson. I just wanted to catch up with you after the game in Austin. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from your team in the Texas game? Well, what I learned from our team was um, we're pretty good at playing one half on the road. Uh, we just got to do a better job of having that mental uh, and physical stamina uh, and learn how to finish games because even though we surrendered the lead, uh, then we had another lead by a point or two with five minutes to go. And you couldn't have asked for a better position to be in at Texas to a team that lost three games in a row. So we, we're still trying to find an identity. We're not an offensive team or a defensive team. So once we find an identity, hopefully we'll do a better job of having a complete game, and that's what I'm after. And then how is it going with – I know you're trying to get your rotation down. Yeah, and I think that's something that's not going to happen overnight. Uh, we have some guys that's been in and out of the lineup. Bowler started. He's come off the bench. Shannon started. He's come off the bench. Nick King has started two games. You might see a different lineup the next game. But the main thing is the, the guys that are out there playing, they have to be in better 40-minute condition um, mentally and physically so that when they're playing, we can get better production um, out of the guys when they're out there. So we're looking at different combinations, uh, playing against Texas at Texas or going against Oregon at Oregon is not an easy task for anybody, but we need to win some of these games to try to hopefully build our non-conference resume. Absolutely, and I know in the second half, Texas kind of turned up the pressure with their with their you know, uh, full-court press. Mm-hmm. What did you kind of learn about your team and how they need to, well, to attack that? We, we should have attacked it more. There were opportunities after I showed them the video where we had four on three and three on two and two on one opportunities. For some reason, we did something that we'd never been taught before. We held the ball. So they learned our team. We got good kids, Dejon and Corbin and Braxton uh, and all of those guys that handled the ball. They, they'll learn from their mistakes. But also we got to make our free throws, especially our better free throw shooters, and we have to make our layups. We, should, we missed a couple of point-blank layups. Uh, that also contributed to our lack of success. And I know uh, you're excited about being here in the Rocket City, yeah. uh, but and you were, and I know you you've already gone over the recruiting class. But I mean, uh, just talk about the last year in recruiting John and now adding him to the fold. Of yeah, you know, adding John to the fold uh, it's been a, a labor of love because it's it's a family that we built a relationship with since day one, and to see these families trust us and understand the vision of what we're working on and and, and not only John but Colin and Galen and 
you know, all of our guys, Herb and Alex, those guys are coming in trying to do something special uh, that's been hasn't really been done in the University of Alabama on the basketball court. So they want to be a part of something new and fresh. They could have gone anywhere in the country. But fortunately, they decided to come to Alabama. And that gives us something to look forward to while we're still in the second year of trying to re-energize and rebuild this program. And I know you're excited about the Arkansas State Challenge. You've got some Oregon coming up. Uh, You've got some uh, Clemson, some really Mm -hmm. challenging contests. Uh, But is this something with this Huntsville Rocket City Classic, is this Mm -hmm. something you want to do on a yearly basis? Yeah, you know, we're evaluating it. We play in Birmingham. This will be our second year in Birmingham playing uh, against Clemson, and now this will be our first year playing in Huntsville. We think this is fertile recruiting ground. You know, all of northern Alabama and also southern Tennessee. So this is very strategic in what we're doing. And we already obviously signed up what we consider a five-star player from Huntsville. Um, So we're here for a reason. Hopefully a lot of kids that aspire to play basketball on the collegiate level, whether in elementary or high school or middle school, or come out and support us. All of our alumni that we built relationships with and lettermen to come out and support us and fans. Uh, so we're excited about coming playing in the Rocket City Classic. Well, thank you, Coach. We okay, thank it. you. See you later. <laughs> that was a brief conversation between Drew D. Armand and Avery Johnson. And just a little, Drew had a chance to talk to him heading into Huntsville's Rocket City Classic and where the program is, et cetera, et cetera. But that is it for this episode of BAMS Radio. I know it's a couple minutes early. It's about 8.40, but I don't have any callers, and I really don't have anything to talk about, guys. I apologize that we're a little short. Uh, I will say next week, heading into Christmas, there's a decent chance that we'll do a best of, just because Drew's going to be busy with family and so am I, but... Stay tuned. You can follow us on Twitter at BAMS Radio, and we'll uh, keep you updated there. But that's going to do it for this episode of BAMS Radio. I'll give you one more score update if I can find it. Uh, Alabama leads 67-47 at the uh, eight min- under eight-minute timeout. So like I said earlier, I think Alabama's going to come away with a win and move on and get ready for... I'm not even sure who's next on their schedule. Obviously, the Huntsville game is coming up based on what Brian Passing told us. But that's it for this episode of BAMS Radio. For William Redfish Barger, big thank you to Drew DeArmond for providing us with some audio. I am Thomas Watts, the producer and sometimes host. That's it for us. Everybody have a great rest of your week and roll tide. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. Holiday Happy Helpline. 
Help! My stockings are hung by the chimney with care, but I need some stellar gifts to fill them with. Why get hung up? Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got great gifts for everyone on your list, and the entire store is up to 60% off. 60% off? That's right, Old Navy's got gifts for just two, four, six, and eight bucks for a Merry Christmas to all. And to all a great price. Thanks! Don't thank me, thank Old Navy. Offers valid 12-12 through 12-18. Excludes clearance, gift cards, register lane items, jewelry, today only and two-day only deals.